Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. So we're continuing our series this morning on the armor of God. So I got a question here, and if you're a doctor, you're not allowed to answer. Um, The question is, what's the number one killer of Americans? Very good, yeah, it's heart disease, heart disease, right? So there's the top 10 right there. So heart disease still beats out cancer. I was talking to Nate Eikhoff, and uh, he said, you know, we have come so far in learning about heart, heart issues and stuff. We've made a lot of improvements there, but it's still, it's still like number one. And, uh, you know, heart disease is the number one killer of, of, of uh, people spiritually. And I think you know what I'm saying here is when we're talking about heart, we're talking about something here that we speak kind of metaphorically, but the Bible talks about our hearts 1,100 times, and we're talking about something that's interior to us, right? So we're, you know, probably the best way to look at it is maybe from Proverbs 4.23, where it says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And this heart is like our innermost person where our emotions and our desires dwell. And you know, it's not just the Bible that talks about the heart in that way. I mean, we talk about this all the time. We say things like, well, I need to have a heart-to-heart conversation. Or we say, you know, it's got, God put something on my heart. Or we say, that's a hard-hearted person. Um, and so we, we talk about it in terms of our inmost being where our emotions and our desires dwell. And the problem is, is that our hearts are diseased. It says this in uh, Jeremiah 17. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all the hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people that are due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Our hearts, there's something that's desperately wrong there. And it's been that way since, uh, really, since Adam, right? I mean, I th- when I think about that, I think about uh, my granddaughter Vivian here. And she's got that four-year-old look, doesn't she? Like, hey, it's like not everything is going the way I want it to, you know? And I'm, I'm upset. Even being at, the, like, the flower shop right here, I think she discovered that these flowers were not about her, you know? And that was just, like, it was terrible. I teach high school, and I see this all the time. And those of you who are teachers, you know what I'm talking about. I was talking to an assistant, one of our assistant principals the other day, and he said, yeah, I had this typical thing happen here where this kid did something, and I call him in, and he just lies. Just lies. You know, it's deny, 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 as Bill Clinton would say. And he just wouldn't admit to what he'd done. And then an hour later, he gets a call, or an hour and a half later, he gets a call from... Um, the kid's mom, and how dare you accuse my son of this, and it's so wrong, and how dare you punish him and stuff, and, and uh, our assistant principal said, ma'am, he, he said an hour ago he confessed to it, you know, and it's just like, it's all about us, isn't it? We're, we're kind of selfish at heart, and we're, we're willing to step on a lot of people on our way. Jesus talked about this uh, when he was talking to the crowds, And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, 
malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. If you look at that list, you'll see that some of these things are kind of personal, but many of them affect other people, and we're willing to trample on other people and hurt them because of this defiled heart, the fact that our hearts tend toward evil. You know, our hearts want to be filled, and they want to be fulfilled. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. One of the songs we sing here at Community of Hope quite a bit talks about our ever, you know, restless heart. It's always looking for being filled and fulfilled. Filled, we're looking to be satisfied somehow, and we just look in all kinds of directions, and fulfilled is this idea that we we want to feel that we've reached the, our potential, that we're getting everything that we can out of life. And sometimes that leads us down some pretty desperate paths. Uh, there's a book out that I'm trying to get here. I've read, I read some reviews of it by Hadley Freeman called Good Girls. And she talks about her career with an eating disorder. It started when she was about 14 and went for, you know, she struggled with this thing for years. It just about killed her. And she said this, she was talking to a friend at age 14, and the friend, she said, said to me, I wish I was normal like you. And then Freeman says, a black tunnel yawned open inside of me. Normal was average. Normal was boring. Normal was nothing. I wanted to make myself exceptional. And our hearts are desperately looking for that fulfillment to be more than just boring and average. We want to be special. Freeman uh, speculates in her book that this is also the root of the gender dysphoria. This, this thing is, that's become such a social contagion is, is like to, having such a negative effect on so many people's lives. And it's even gotten to the point here where we're, you, know, you read about transabled people People who say, well, I identify as a handicapped person, and even though they're perfectly healthy, they're living their lives in wheelchairs. And they talk about a guy named One Hand Jason who cut off his arm because he didn't feel normal with a good arm and just told everybody, well, it was just an accident. But transabled, desperation, desperate for fulfillment, and this has just become destructive in so many people's lives. We need help. And the good news is, is that God is in the heart transplant business. And I love this verse in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, where God says he's got the solution here for our heart disease. And he says, I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I mean, look at that. First of all, He's saying, look it, I, I can't just repair your heart. I can't tinker with it or give you just a little bit of help for it. You need a brand new heart. This thing's got to be replaced. That thing you've got is dead. You need something that's going to be alive. So I'm going to give you a brand new heart and a new spirit. And, you know, you can tell this is going to be a gift from God. He's going, look it, I'm just going to give you that. That's for you. And then you can see also that it's going to start affecting us on the outside as well. And so it's going to change our way of living. 
We're going to have tender, responsive hearts. And this is the promise that's been fulfilled in you and me if we're followers of Jesus Christ. What What a terrific thing. He's got the cure. Now, God has invested, really, his very own life, right? Jesus shed his blood. He gave his life to make this new heart possible. This is a big investment on God's part. And he's going like, you know what? I would like, I got to set up something so you can protect this, this new heart that I've given you. And this is where we finally get back to our sermon series here, which is the armor of God. And our heart protection is the breastplate of righteousness. So it says there in Ephesians 6, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you see this, this soldier right here, and he's wearing body armor, isn't he? And that body armor right there, that breastplate that he's wearing there is protecting his internal organs, but specifically his heart, so that his heart can be protected. This um, righteousness, which is our breastplate, is a gift that comes with our new hearts. So it says in Romans five seventeen, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm going to give you this righteousness and this is going to be this protection. So I want to show you what I think are three ways that righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, is a protection for our hearts. And the first one is this that being right with God brings us the fulfillment that our hearts have always longed for and protects us from disappointing substitutes. So on one level, righteousness is something that's just given to us. So Jesus Jesus says, you know, if you trust in me, you're going to have this new life in you, right? And so he's saying, look at I have, you're going to be right with God. You're going to, you're going to be someone that he accepts completely in spite of the fact that you're a flawed person. It's been, been given to us. And this brings us this fulfillment. Okay, so I wanted just to tell you about um, an incident that happened years ago at my school. Uh, I just, this is just a generic picture that I just pulled up because it just reminded me of this girl that I was talking to. So this was a senior in one of my classes and she uh, would come on a regular basis to the Bible study that met in, my, in my, our house. And she was uh, somebody who was involved in a dance team, and she was also um, in the drama stuff that we had at Lutheran West. So she was always in the public eye, right? And this caused her to, I think, become kind of vulnerable to thinking about, like, how are people looking at me, and what do I look like? Body image-type issues started to really plague her. And so she started to cut weight, and this became kind of a progressive kind of thing. It developed into an eating disorder. And I remember uh, talking to her um, on a a number of occasions, and I suggested one thing. I said, maybe you need to back off of these performance kind of things that you're doing for a while as you're trying to deal with this, these, these issues, you know, because being in a public eye like this is, is really makes things more difficult for you. And then um, I said, you know what, I, there's a verse, a couple of verses in the Bible that I think might be really helpful for you to really think about and just keep thinking about. 
And so I pointed her to Colossians 2, 9 to 10. Because this verse has always meant a, a great deal to me. And this verse is talking about Jesus. And it says, in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's basically saying that all of God is like in Jesus. You know, he isn't just some kind of godly man, but we're talking about the fullness of God just in him. I remember using an image in my class that I kind of stole from a Pepsi commercial on the Super Bowl, and it was like this bottle of Pepsi, and in this commercial, this kid was sucking on this so much he got sucked into the bottle. And I said, this is kind of like the fullness of God just, just sucked right into this, into this Jesus right here. This is God in his fullness, okay? So all the fullness of God is in Jesus. And then it says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Say, you are complete in Jesus. You have everything that you need. And remember this girl, this, this kind of, this verse just really resonated with her, and she had this uh, ability to do calligraphy. So she made a number of signs that, said, that had this verse on it and said, I am complete. And she put one of them in her locker at school so that every period when she would go back and get the next class's books, it would be right there to, to read. I am complete. And she put one on a mirror uh, that was over her dresser, and she put one in the bathroom that she frequented uh, at home. And, you know, put these things all over and just kept reminding herself, I am complete. And that's what the righteousness of God is all about. He's going, God goes like, You're, you have everything you need. You are mine. You're good enough. You know, you've got it all going here. And, and that was a powerful thing in her life. It was real fulfillment. You know, I don't know if any of us in here struggle in that direction, but I think one of the things that as Americans we deal with is just our work and our career, which is something that I think about when I'm thinking, okay, maybe I ought to retire and stuff like that, because work has played such a big part in my life, and I'll bet for, for you it's like the same kind of thing. And I, I remember reading uh, from Joseph Pieper. He wrote this monograph called Leisure, the Basis of Culture, and he had this brilliant uh, idea. And he said, as other sources of meaning dry up, specifically faith, local community, and family, individuals need or seek ways of filling the void. The result is that work is overemphasized as a source of meaning at the same time that employees are becoming disillusioned with its failure to deliver meaning. And so we have this tendency in our culture to go like, you know, in my work, that's where I'm going to find family. That, that's where I'm going to find community that I'm seeking for. That's where I'm going to find faith, something to believe in, something that gives me meaning and fulfillment. And if I don't have that job, who am I? I don't have anything anymore. Yet at the same time, a work career can't carry that burden. It's not a family. It's not fulfillment in life. It's a good thing, and God's called us to that. But if we're looking for that to fill up the void in our life, we're going to be disappointed. And I think we find the same thing, the expectations that people bring to marriages and, and their relationships and their, their physical health and financial security and things like that. It can't carry the weight. It's not going to make the, you know, make the big difference. 
And, and uh, Jesus is saying, look at in me, you are complete. You have that righteousness of God, and that can protect your heart from wandering off after things that are always going to disappoint. I remember when I was a, when I was a teenager, it was the time of the British invasion. Any of you remember that, or am I too old? Right? It was like, in my mind, it was like, yeah, all this crummy American music is being like superseded by this good music that's from England, right? It's the Beatles and all this. And the girls always thought the Beatles were great and they'd go to the movies and scream in adoration. So we're going like, yeah, it's not the Beatles, it's Stones. It's Rolling Stones. Now, Rolling Stones are still around. They're like 110 years old. <laughs> you know, they're living from one blood transfusion to another. But back in the day, they actually were young, and they were vibrant, and they had this song. It was the first one that I remember, like, getting excited about called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, you know. I can't get no, and we'd go on. And I remember me and my loser friends would, like, drive around, you know, in cars aimlessly, you know, drinking beer, and then this would, song would come on, and we would sing this at the top of our lungs. I can't get no, and there was a, you know, there's a verse that went, I can't get no girly action. And that was us. That's why we're doing what we're doing, right? And we just couldn't get satisfaction. And I had a good life. And, but I was like, I had this itch that I couldn't scratch. You know the feeling? Like you're going like, there's got to be something more. It's just like, this isn't satisfying. And then when I was about 30 years old, I started following Jesus. And you know what? It was like, ah. I was satisfied. And this verse that I ran across the first time I read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, this is what it's about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I was satisfied, you know, and that's where satisfaction is really found. And that's a protection for our ever-wandering hearts. You know, and also the breastplate of righteousness uh, does this. The righteous life that God enables in us protects our hearts from accusation. So we've not only been like declared righteous, and in reality we are righteous before God now, thanks to what Jesus has done, but we also, that begins to show itself in our lifestyle. And it protects our hearts from accusation, and I'll show you how. Um, this is from 1 John chapter 3. And John's talking here about like what real love is all about. What does it mean to really love somebody? So he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He said, that's the model of real love. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. So he goes like, we're going to have to love in real practical ways that are going to cost us. So we're going to go like, wow, this, I got to, you know, it takes away money I could use on me, and I'm going to use it for this person who's in need here, this brother, his sister in the Lord, and do that. So that's real love. Now look at what happens as a result. So this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. So one of the things that helps us to see, yeah, I really am a follower of Jesus in reality, is my ability to love my brothers and sisters in the Lord. 
Um, I remember talking to somebody at school, and this person said, you know what, I, I struggle with these feelings like I'm not really a believer. And I knew this person was a believer. I mean, somebody was really, you know, really walking with the Lord. And, I, and they said, what can I do? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, is there anybody that you know that you're mad at and you're holding a grudge and you're not forgiving them? Anybody that, that you're refusing to pray for that's hurt you? And I remember this girl said, yeah, well, yeah, there might be somebody like that, you know? And I said, why don't you do this for a week? I said, every time you think of that person, pray for them, pray for them. And just anytime you get a chance to do something good for them, do something good for them. See what happens. That made a difference. You know, it says that's how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And so the Lord's going like, look at this is going to enhance your prayer life when you are loving others and feeling that confidence that God wants you to have, knowing that you are his. You know what? It's like there's probably, for each one of us here, there are probably people that we're praying for that maybe nobody else in the world is praying for, or very few people. Our prayers are powerful that way. And I think what Satan wants to do is undermine that confidence to pray and just keep us from, from praying. And I, I feel like times that I'm not loving my wife, those are times where my prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling. And the Lord's going, get that right. Get that relationship right. And then it frees me up to pray. And, and that's an, just an important thing. So that can set our hearts at rest. It says in Revelation 12, for the accuser, it's talking about Satan, right? Of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. So that becomes a strong thing. Satan's always trying to undermine you know, our, our confidence that we're gods. And our testimony can be a strong thing there in the face of that. You know, just to reflect back on what God has done in our lives. I think this is why all through the Bible, um, you know, it's like people were reminding themselves, this is what God's done. This is what he's done. This is what he's done in the past. It's so important just to remember the things, that great things that God has done and how he's brought us along, the changes that he's made in our lives and how we've grown in him, you know, through the years. It's a powerful thing against the accuser of our, brother, uh, you know, of our brothers and sisters. And then the third thing is that a righteous heart, the, the righteous heart protection that God provides weans us from going down destructive paths. We have this tendency, like I said at the top, is just to have this kind of tendency to go in the wrong direction. And sometimes that can be really really bring a lot of pain into our lives. And the Lord is going like, I don't want you to have to suffer unnecessarily from just doing things that are just dumb. They're just like going against the wisdom that I want to, that I've given you in my word. 
And it says in Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I've got this uh, colleague at school who had uh, knee replacement surgery this last Wednesday. So I was emailing uh, him, and uh, he said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, already on this first day since I had the knee replaced, they already got me in, in physical therapy. And the reason is, yeah, he's got a brand new knee, but that's weak. And he needs to strengthen the muscles around it and just a constant thing, right? And I think with this new heart that God's given us, I think he wants us to be strengthening that whole muscle, right, so to speak. So there's spiritual therapy for our hearts. God is training us away from all these tendencies and these habits and these old ways of doing business. And he's going, look, at I'm making you new. Watch me work in your life and strengthen you in these areas where you're still weak. He's training us. It's like sometimes these, these ways when we walk away from the Lord bring us into such pain. I'm, I'm thinking about the Scarlet Letter, that classic by uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne. And there's a minister in there named Dimsdale. He's a good guy. He loves the Lord. But he has this one-night fling with a young woman in his congregation um, while her, her husband's been in, in England for a year, you know, and she's lonely, and he's a lonely guy, and then he has this one night, and he hates himself for it. And he just can't get past it, and he beats himself up literally about this thing, but he won't confess it. He won't bring it into the light. He's living dishonestly, and that just compounds his problem. And he's such an illustration of Proverbs 13, verse 6, that says, Righteousness is like a shield of protection, guarding those who keep their integrity, but sin is the downfall of the wicked. And I was thinking, probably the positive example of this is the story of David and Abigail. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but... It's a story of, uh, from 1 Samuel 25. David is the guy who's going to be the king, right? But he isn't in office yet. The, the present king that God is kind of like, I'm done with this guy. He is like trying to kill David before David can actually get what God has got for him. And so David's on the run, and he's got all these like warriors who are with him, you know, who are, you know, kind of a ragtag cowboy bunch, Right? And they happen to be out in the plains or something, and they're, they come upon this guy who is this big sheep rancher or whatever they call guys like that. He's got this huge flock. He's a wealthy guy. And David protects this guy, figuring there's going to be a quid pro quo, right, that the guy is going to owe him, and he's going to help David, you know, and give him provisions for all his men. Well, the guy is just an ungrateful guy, you know, and he's really rude to David. And he goes like, get out of here. Who are you, you know? Don't, you know, don't try to beg off of me and stuff like that. So David is infuriated. And he goes, this guy's such a jerk. I'm going to kill him. So David, like, swears that he's going he's gonna to kill Nabal and wipe him out. And he's on the road coming there to do this very deed. But the guy's wife, Nabal's wife, says is a wise woman, a beautiful woman, and she goes, I'm going to protect my husband. And so she gets all of her servants to make all kinds of good food and stuff, loads it up, goes out there, meets David, 
and goes like, look it, got some good stuff here for you. And then she says something to him, to David. And I just love this. She's going like, don't go after my husband. She says, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. And when the Lord has done these great things for you, please remember me, your servant. Wise woman. She's going, you don't need this grief. This is the wrong thing to do. You're going to carry this guilt around the rest of your life, this act of, of vengeance that you want to take. And David takes her advice, and he saves himself a lot of grief. And then the guy himself, like, drops dead. You know, it's like it says the Lord struck him. You know, bam, he, he goes down, and David marries Abigail. <laughs> nice ending to the story, you know. But it was cool. What she was was God's instrument of heart protection. It was like, this is the way God shields us with righteousness. He raises up people who've got some wisdom like this, and they become God's instruments. And I can't help but think on this Mother's Day weekend that uh, Abigail is an image of the mothers and grandmothers who've been instruments of God protecting his investment in our new hearts. I mean, each one of us can probably reflect back to the moms who are trying to keep us from all that stuff that we were going to venture down that was going to be no good. They were instruments of God, right? And you moms here with your kids, that's the, the big thing on your heart, isn't it, all the time? I want to keep my kids from all this suffering they're going to go through if they don't follow the Lord. It's like a burden, but at the same time, it's just like it's a, a noble purpose that God has created you for. And it isn't just like, you know, moms and, and grandmothers too, but it's husbands, it's fathers, it's brothers and sisters in the Lord who have been instruments that God uses as part of that breastplate of righteousness to keep us on a path that's going to, we're going to thrive because why? This is a path that God has created because he wanted to bless us. And our wayward hearts would sometimes go like, yeah, we, I know better and take us away from the good stuff that God wanted. So we want to just pray this morning for a blessing on our moms and we want to pray a blessing on our wives and our brothers and sisters in the Lord for um, what they are doing in our lives as part of what God has done. So let's, let's just pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we want to, first of all, thank you for these new hearts that you have given us here. Um, those old hearts were just, man, they just weren't up to the job. And so thank you so much for that free gift. And we want to thank you this morning so much also for that, that gift of righteousness that you freely give us, making us right with you and the way that you're working through that in our lives right now. We thank you for all the people that have been in our lives as your instruments and what a blessing they have been. How, you know, and just, um, Lord, I just pray that if they're still around, that you would bless them. Uh, we thank you if they've already gone on to be with you um, this morning, that they had that same eternal hope in the new hearts that, that you've given us. And we, uh, once again, thank you, Jesus, for making this all possible. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.